Welcome to MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the truth behind medical research with unbiased, evidence-proven facts, powered by Encore Research Group and hosted by cardiologist and top medical researcher, Dr. Michael Corrin. Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Corrin, leading another episode of MedEvidence with a fabulous guest, Dr. Dennis Leahy. And Dennis has been sharing some really personal details with us about his journey with atherosclerosis that has been driven by this really, 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 really bad cholesterol molecule called lipoprotein little a. And uh, uh, Dr. Leahy has been exposed to apheresis, which is a filtering or dialysis type technology to get rid of this bad protein. And he's also been part of a clinical trial that uses an antisense oligonucleotide or ASO, which is a sort of a genetically mediated way of getting LPA, LPA levels down very, very low. And he has good reason to do so. Um, he's been through a lot. Um, he's had bypass surgery. He's had multiple stents placed. He's had uh, complications uh, after a stent placement and even had a carotid endarterectomy to deal with a carotid lesion that was um, probably causing a little mini stroke. So um, Dennis, has, uh, as an interventional cardiologist, has put a lot of effort in in not only living this, but also studying it. And so we're going to jump into that discussion about research and where the future lies in terms of treating this lipoprotein disease. And uh, from uh, our viewpoint here at Jacksonville Center for Clinical Research, we've been very involved with a number of studies. So we ha actually have used the drug Pelicarsin, which Dr. Leahy has, has been part of as uh, a clinical trial participant. And uh, we're also working on some products that use a technology called small interfering RNA to get lipoprotein little a levels down to extremely low numbers. In fact, up to 95% reduction in LPA. So we'll, we'll jump into that a little bit more. But so before, first, before we go into that, Dennis, you know, I'm very passionate about clinical research and, and I think everybody should be in a clinical trial. And uh, tell, tell us what it was like. Do you feel like a guinea pig or how, tell us how it was for you? It must be tough for a doctor who's usually on the other side of therapy to be part of a research study. What was that well, like? Well, you know, when you? I entered that study, as, as we touched on earlier, uh, there really wasn't anything else uh, presently available that was going to be helpful. I, I did go down the niacin route for a while, uh, but it just, you know, the kind of the doses you have to take to achieve what you want to achieve is uh, they just weren't tolerable. Yeah, couldn't tolerate it. Yeah. Um, so I had no trouble, as I mentioned, the clinical trial I entered into, as opposed to the, uh, you know, a double-blinded, randomized trial, which is frequently you either have placebo or you're on treatment. This was a dosing trial, so I had an 85% chance of being on an active drug, which really appealed to me. Um, I was very mm -hmm. comfortable with it. We did a number of trials, uh, a number of drug trials in my practice, and so I was very familiar with the protocols and and kind of the pluses and minuses. So I had no reservations about it. Um, uh, and it, you know, it really worked out extremely well. Yeah, one of the things I like to remind the audience is that for people who have never been exposed to clinical research, it sounds very intimidating and scary. But once you've done it, people actually love it. It's a very nurturing experience and you learn a lot about your disease. You get access to things in many cases that you don't, you didn't get previously. And uh, in many cases, you get a, a stipend for your time and effort. So there's a lot of reasons to like participating in clinical research. And my favorite statistic to quote are surveys that have looked at willingness to participate in clinical trials. And when you take naive members of the, of the lay population and ask them, 
whether or not they would be willing to do a clinical research study, depending on the survey, between 40 and 60% of people said they'd be willing to do it. But once somebody has done one trial and you ask them if they would do a second trial, that percentage goes up to 97%. Yeah. And here at our, at, in our offices in Florida, that number is 99%. So 99% of our patients exposed to one clinical trial willing to do a second. And I think that states a lot about how neat of an experience it is for virtually every patient. And uh, it's interesting to hear your perspective, Dennis, as both a clinician, uh, a research-oriented person, and somebody that actually participated in the trial. So again, thank you for your participation, and thank you for well, spreading the work. Well, I think you know, really, the the thing that I, um, you know, I'm I'm retired, so I'm I'm kind of in the in the game in a, in a very limited capacity. But the the thing that I have actually written a couple pieces on that have been uh, kind of op-eds that have, have gotten on a couple um, online sites is I feel uh, very passionate that everyone in the world should be tested for their LP delay level. I think it's an extremely important part of where we're going with LP delay. I don't want to get too far in the weeds if, if this, is, this is not something you want to pursue, but um, you only need to be tested once to be essentially mm -hmm. to stratify your risk because the level doesn't change much uh, from age five onwards. Your LP to lay level is going to be your LP to lay level. Uh, That's a great point. It's a really, really super great point, and thank you for making that. So, you know, with cholesterol and some other uh, lipid parameters, your your diet has a big impact. Your physical activity has a big impact. But for LP little a, it's mostly genetically mediated. Virtually all genetically mediated. The thyroid may have a little bit something to do with it. There may be a little other things. But to your point, you either have a lot of it or you yeah. don't. Well, LP Lillet has kind of suffered uh, uh, a, a weird history in that it really hasn't ever gotten the attention it deserves, even though I, I think particularly the past decade, the elegant research that you and other people have been involved in have really clarified its role and given a direction to how we should treat it. But that is not translated well in the clinical world. You you talk to the average doctor on the street and ask them about LP delay, and they're still kind of mystified. And part of the reason for that is um, it was always thought to be non-modifiable, but now we know it is modifiable and probably safely so. Um, but even before these medicines get approved, there are things that people with elevated LP little a who are 20 years old should be doing, uh, you know, primarily at being very attentive to their risk factors, but particularly their LDLC levels. Um, Correct. You know, if you're in the top quartile like I am, um, you know, this you're already you're already having some troubles. Probably, um, I don't know if you recall in medical school. It's probably I was in medical school a good 15 years before you, but uh, it was always preached that this is a, a lifetime disease. And one of the things that we always cited was. Uh, people, soldiers who came back the from the autopsy, Korean yeah. War had autopsies, and they uh, a lot of them had fatty streaking in their arteries. They probably all had LP little a because it does affect 20% of the population to the level that, that they're going to have uh, significant elevated risk. So um, That's a great point. Yeah. Great point, uh, eye-opening that even uh, people who seem completely healthy in their 20s were already developing signs of atherosclerosis. Yeah, and, and, and I'm pretty sure it, had we known what – LP little a was then and how to test it, those people would have had elevated levels. Um, so the future uh, of LP little a is going to be very contingent on probably large, you know, tens to hundreds of thousands of people being in these trials. And uh, if everyone gets tested for it, we're going to have a lot of a lot of easier time filling those trials. Absolutely. Yeah, spreading the word is extremely important. And as you point out, there are major 
cardiac outcome trials that are ongoing as we speak. And uh, we need to get people involved. So the, the physician community needs to listen to what you're saying and hopefully refer patients who are at very high risk for these trials to see if lowering LPA makes a difference. There's still a debate about that. We, we all know it's a very important risk factor, but just because something is an important risk factor doesn't mean that by reducing it, you're going to change the risk profile. And these trials are extraordinarily important to, to prove that one way or another. Getting a little technical, um, the, the trials that we're doing now here that we are enrolling for involve, small, involve something called small interfering RNA, which is another, quote, genetically based way of preventing the assembly of lipoprotein little a. And it involves something called the RNA-induced silencing complex, which is part of all the cells that's actually trained to, trained to look for pieces of genetic material that can cause problems. It's a sort of an intrinsic mechanism of cells to prevent viruses from doing damage. So they're looking for so sort of bad pieces of genetic material. And we can train these parts of the cells to identify the, uh, the strands that are important for making lip lipoprotein little a. And with this technology, <clears throat> it seems incredibly safe so far. We're able to reduce levels of LPA by up to 95%, as mentioned. So the next step is to see whether that huge reduction in LPA will translate into fewer heart attacks and strokes for people at extremely high risk. So again, your comments are well taken, Dennis, and you know, spreading the word to doctors and patients and getting people involved in these studies is, is so essentially important for us to progress medicine forward. So I'm going to I'm going to lead with a uh, sort sort of end with one last notion and um I'm curious to see what your experiences are with this. So one of the theories about LPA is that it also is um a lipoprotein particle that can induce calcification and it may be particularly associated with aortic stenosis which um, is certainly a condition that you've worked with as as an interventional cardiologist and for the other people out there aortic stenosis is when the aortic valve, which is the valve between the, the left ventricle and the aorta, gets blocked up, typically due to calcium buildup. And there's a theory that lipoprotein little a, particularly at high levels, and maybe particularly certain isoforms, can lead to this uh, aggressive calcification. But in your case, you mentioned that earlier in life, you didn't have much calcification. So maybe you can share your thoughts about this uh, interesting theory and where you stand on that? Yeah, I think the I think the connection with uh, calcific aortic stenosis is is pretty well established. I mean, it's really uh, it, it not only is that um, there's a higher incidence of it, but there's a ra more rapid progression of valvular disease to the point where you need to intervene. Um, uh, and so it's extremely important again uh, that everyone know their LP to lay level because if they develop a, a murmur uh, uh, that's referable to the aortic valve. Uh, their doctors need to know that because they need to be followed very carefully for that because they're they're likely to have much more rapid progression to it. Uh, and there's, of course, a small incidence of sudden death in people with aortic stenosis who haven't recognized they had the problem and it probably would have been a preventable event. Um, but I, I think, you know, the, the thing about the negative calcium score for me was really a, a, a real, uh, it was really confounding or confusing to me about how that could be, how I could have as much vascular disease and plaque that hadn't calcified uh, because you, you think, well, if it calcifies in the aortic valve, why is that calcifying in the artery? Um, so I, I don't know quite what to make of that, but, but I think the aortic stenosis story is, 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 is quite important clinically. 
Have you had issues I've not, with aortic no, valve disease? Any, any issues there? Yeah, that's interesting. I, we don't we don't understand exactly why certain people are more prone to calcification of the valves and others aren't. But LPA may be a very important piece of the story. And as we speak, uh, clinical trials are contemplating intervening for people with uh, aortic stenosis to see if the reduction of LPA can actually make a difference. And it's another area of research that we'll keep a close eye out for and has you know, a great deal of promise in terms of dealing with a condition that really doesn't have any medical treatment right. at this point. So, Dennis, I can't thank you enough for this just incredible uh, sharing of information and uh, and being so forthright, telling us uh, your personal details. Um, thank you so much for sharing that with the audience. And I, you know, I know this will have a big impact on a lot of people, both in the physician community and amongst patients. So again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for sharing this. And uh, just keep up uh, talking about that LPA problem because it's going to make a big difference and save a lot of lives, in my opinion, down the road. And also keep up the good work and just talking about research because, again, the answer to the questions in medicine that are confounding us is through research. And uh, the more support we get of it, the the better the, the public health will be in the yeah. future. So many, many my thanks. Uh, any concluding remarks? Uh, no. Again, I, again, the, the, the bandwagon I'm on is universal testing. I really think um, uh, there is absolutely no reason that, that and not every person in the United States should be tested once for this problem. Um, again, it's one in five people who will be identified as being at increased risk for having the vascular and valvular problems associated with it. So uh, the earlier you're identified, the better, and you've become available for being clinical trials or treatment if you need it um, uh, long before the consequences come to bear. Because once you start having those consequences, um, as evidenced in my history, you're really off to the races. And uh, if this could be short-circuited 15 years before that, it would be pretty impressive. Well, amen to that. And again, many, many thanks for your uh, participation and your contributions to MedEvidence. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Med Evidence, the truth behind the data. Please hit the subscribe button to stay up to date on our weekly releases.